You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network, powered by Interstate Batteries. From your truck to your trail camera, Interstate Batteries has you covered. Visit your local Interstate Battery store today or online at interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. Welcome to the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast, brought to you by Exodus Trail Cameras, the number one podcast for bow hunting product information and hunting stories from across the nation. And now, here's your nine fingered host, Dan Johnson. Often imitated, never duplicated. Welcome to the show. Dude, I got fire in my blood today. I don't know why. Maybe it's because I know that I'm going to at least get out hunting one time this weekend. I know that the rut train is slowly starting to take off. And although it is what some may not find an attractive time of year to get into the timber, anytime is a good time to get into the timber and that's what we're going to talk about today with returning guest and writer scott bestel Uh, he was on a while back talking about early season hunting strategies and tactics and today we're going to be talking about mid-october hunting strategies and tactics if this is your very first time tuning into this podcast you're in luck it's actually going to be a good podcast for those of you guys who have been turning in for the 287th time or whatever number podcast I'm on, thank you for tuning in. And you may have noticed that the introduction of this podcast is just a little bit different. And and I've been talking about this big thing that I am planning on doing. Well, if you follow the Nine Finger Chronicles Facebook page today or yesterday, whenever you're listening to this, I made the announcement that the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network is what we've been working on, right? So the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast, the Land and Legacy podcast, the DIY Sportsman's podcast, and coming soon, the Transition Wild podcast. Four podcasts, one RSS feed, and uh, that is what we are going to call it. It's going to be under the umbrella of the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network. You get four podcasts on one RSS feed. The website should be launching somewhere around November 1st. And I'm just really excited. It's going to be something different. It's going to be something exciting, new. I mean, social media is going to be off the chain. It's going to be a community of 
hardcore sportsmen and the podcasts that are going to be on this network are going to reflect that. So with all that said, man, I'm excited to get this, uh, get this up and running, to get this, this train going for the sportsman's nation. I will still be doing the nine finger Chronicles podcast. Nothing's really going to change. You may see a, uh, a change in your title of the podcast that comes down. But if you're subscribing to this feed and to this podcast already, guess what? You don't have to do anything. All you have to do is just continue to listen to the podcast. And uh, like I said, we got a lot of cool things coming down the pipe with uh, the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network. So if you haven't already, go to the Facebook and Instagram and follow the Sportsman's Nation. It's just Sportsman's Nation on Facebook and Instagram. That's all I have right now. And uh, be prepared for the website launch that's coming later this month, early next month. I'm, I know I'm excited for it. I know the guys at Landon Legacy, the DIY Sportsman, Transition Wild, they're all ready for it to get rolling. But uh, that is the big announcement. Uh, stay tuned because the website is going to kick ass. And I'm excited for it. And it's going to kick ass for two reasons, because it actually will be a badass website. But second, I paid a lot of money for it, and uh, I know the guy who's building it, and uh, I've seen some pictures of it already, so man, I'm, uh, I'm just really excited. So, today, Scott Bestel, uh, we, I already told you we're going to be talking a little bit, or I shouldn't say a little bit, the entire podcast is really dedicated to hunting that mid-October. We talk about why some people don't like to hunt it or don't find it attractive. I'm a huge fan of hunting it because just like a majority of you, I am, uh, for the most part, a weekend warrior. I work a desk job. I only get certain amount of time a year to hunt. So when I can get out on the weekends, even if it's during the, you know, the quote unquote October lull, which every time I say that term, my, my insides turn because I hate the terminology lull. Um, and I talked to uh, Scott a little bit about that. We get into detail of, uh, what he thinks are good tactics and strategies, what I think are good tactics and strategies. We kind of bounce ideas off of each other, uh, chit chat about uh, maybe some articles that he's written in the past and, uh, you know, just shoot from the hip. If you listened to the early season podcast that we did with him, it's going to be a lot like that, but just about a different time of year. And, uh, I think we're going to get Scott on again to discuss this pre rut and rut type hunting strategies and tactics as well. Uh, definitely something I think you guys are going to, uh, enjoy, but before we get into that podcast, man, we got to send a shout out to Ozonics. Um, I don't know if you guys have experimented with, ozone yet as far as uh, implementing it into your scent regimen but ozonics is the one-stop shop um, they have the bag that you can plug or that you can put your unit into and run a dry wash cycle it's basically a, a mini closet that allows you to um, dry wash ozone over top of your clothes kills bacteria and then you use that same unit and you take it into the tree with you and it is just the perfect scent elimination uh, and scent control uh, system uh, i'm a huge fan of it i've been using an ozonic since it was the size of a vcr i'm not joking like their first one was i had to be close to like eight pounds um, and i played around with it 
I loved the results. And I know that if you're a guy who is really counting on as much opportunities in the timber as humanly possible, then I really think you guys uh, need to consider an Ozonics because you're listening to this podcast and Ozonics is a partner. Ozonics is offering a discount of $75 off of all orders over $400. That's a really good discount. And when you go to purchase your Ozonics, you need to enter the discount code 9FINGERS17. That's the number 9 followed by the word FINGERS and then the numbers 17. So 9FINGERS17. And uh, that's how you can save $75 off of all orders over $400. So go visit the Ozonics website today. Other than that, guys, I got to settle down because I'm being loud. And I know my baby's going to wake up or my kids are going to wake up. Then the shit will really hit the fan. So let's get into today's mid-October hunting strategy and tactics podcast with my main man, Scott Bestel. All right, back on the podcast for the second time in uh, recent history, outdoor writer Scott Bestel. How you doing today, Scott? I'm doing awesome, Dan. How about yourself? I appreciate you having me back. Yeah, man, I tell you what, I think this is going to turn into a little mini-series uh, with you. <laughs> and uh, I'm like one of those old washed-up actors that can't, you know, <laughs> I just I get hired and then, you know, people can't get rid of me, you know? <laughs> Next thing, you know, next thing you know, you're in these like second rate product commercials that are on like real late at night. I, I'll be on the QVC network anytime here soon. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. Buy <laughs> my deer hunters anti-aging cream. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I tell you what, the sad part is though, someone would actually buy it and it would probably give you more notoriety than you've ever had. Yeah, well, that wouldn't be hard to do, especially if we put it in a camel container. I think we could sell the heck out of those things. Oh, heck yeah. Real tree edition. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> well, I know that after this podcast, we're recording this podcast on a Thursday, somewhere around uh, 3 o'clock central. And you mentioned to me before, uh, you know, before we started recording that you're going to try to get in the timber uh, yet tonight. So we're going to cut right to the trait chase, no foreplay on this episode. We're going to get right into it. And uh, we're going to talk a little bit about this mid October period that is almost like a love hate relationship. You talk with 50% of the guys and they say, Oh, I ain't going hunting. It's not worth it. There's this October lull. And then you have another guy, a group of guys, and I put myself in this category that don't believe in an October lull. And uh, so I want to talk to you a little bit about this mid-October time period and maybe what to look for, this little strategy, a little tactics, and, and that kind of stuff. Is that sound good? That sounds awesome. Yeah, let's do it. All right. So today is November, or, uh, October 11th. And uh, you're getting ready to go out into the timber after this uh, this episode. Where are you going to hunt? What is your what's the stand location look like that you're going to head to tonight? Okay. Um. Well, great. That's that's a great question, and I I'll just preface what you know what I'm going to say is that I I totally agree with you. I I love this time frame. Um. And I I you know is it sexy and exciting like a rut? No. But to me. 
deer are out there right now being deer. I mean, this is what they do. You know, they bed and they feed and they move, and, and it's it's fun to try to figure them out and do it. And my big thing is, you know, I like you, I'm sure, I know a bunch of guys that don't hunt this time frame, and I think they're idiots because this is the time frame for me when I get all my information that's going to help me have a killer rut. Um if, in my opinion, if you're not hitting it right now, and I, I mean, you don't have to go gonzo. I mean, I'm going grouse hunting this weekend, and, you know, so I'm not spending every available minute in a tree stand. But if you ignore this and you sit this time frame out, I mean, that's like an NFL player sitting out the preseason, you know. He's three steps behind everybody else when the, when the main event starts. Right, right. <clears throat> yeah. So, so where am I going tonight? Great question. Yeah. Um, we've got a good, uh, I'm actually kind of conflicted. We've got a pretty good acorn drop this year. So I've got a couple of good, uh, oak stands that, uh, I, one I scouted real briefly last night and there were, uh, there were five scrapes in a little 50 yard area. And I'm like, there is a buck that's eating and living right here. So that's one option. And then the other one that totally conflicted me is I've got a really good buck that lives in a, in a tiny little area by my dad's house, which is, uh, he owns five acres. I have one tree stand on there, but right next to it is a field that just got combined. And man, in my experience, that sound of that combine is like a dinner bell to those deer. And so I'm torn between just big corn and acorn. That's, that's the short and dirty. <laughs> so last weekend I was out driving around and I noticed a lot of deer were on green and what i mean by that is clover uh, like any type of really fresh green vegetation i noticed that in the timber they were um eating some you know some leaves off these bushes i couldn't really tell what bushes they were Uh, they were also eating uh acorns as well have you ever noticed anything about this time of year deer coming off that summer that quote-unquote summer early fall food the greens and transitioning into that picked corn acorn crop type of food source yeah i have and and, you know i'm i'm really glad you brought up the green thing because i think green any green food source continues to be really important throughout the fall because as things kind of dry down i mean you know it's it's hard to keep it in your head right now because we've been kind of having a little bit of a wet spell here lately but you know it's it's not going to be here forever and things are going to dry down and we're going to get Indian summer and, you know, at warmer temperatures and, man, you know, alfalfa and clover is going to continue to suck in deer. You know, one of the biggest, one of the biggest challenges and I think why guys get frustrated this time of year is it's just kind of a smorgasbord out there right now, isn't it? I mean, yeah. like you mentioned, you got, you got oaks dropping acorns, you got apples out there, you got pick corn and then you've got green and, and deer are really fickle and so they just you know they're like little kids i mean you put a plate of cheerios in front of them and then another one of spaghettios and they just kind of go between them and you you know and our challenge as deer hunters is kind of find out what that next hot food source is going to be right so that's the food source right you're thinking either acorns or you're thinking picked corn tonight now where in line of this point A to B, this bed to food source trend, like um, transition area, are you going to be hunting? Well, and both both of these setups are pretty unique. Um, if if I can get away with it this time of year, I will I will creep a little closer to bed than I you know if, if I can do it. But both of these areas uh, are pretty. Uh, I'm going to have to stay right on the food because. 
Um, well, for one, like my dad's place, only five acres. There's only room for one tree stand there, and it's fairly close to the corn, which is, uh, in my uh, in my mind right now, a, a good bet. And then on my uh, the oak setup that I have, these deer, uh, just because of the topography of the land, there's a little bedding point that's within, you know, that's within 150, 200 yards of this uh, of this white oak that's dropping, and all these scrapes are around it, and and I just don't want to mess with that bed this time of year. Um, if that's a place where that buck feels safe. I want him to continue feeling safe there, and I'm just going to gamble on the fact that, you know, we've had, as we discussed before the podcast here, you know, we've had a little rainy stretch, and all of a sudden it broke, and I'm kind of gambling on the fact that, you know, he's going to feel pretty good about the world tonight and maybe get up a little bit early. So I'm going to set up close to the oaks. Right, right. So in general, this time of year, you've already mentioned at, at the beginning of this podcast that, you you really like hunting this type time of year because you're it sounds to me like you're trying to locate where some of these uh potential shooter deer are living how do you go about doing that uh well i'm running my trail cameras um i do a lot of okay so like yesterday's for example i just uh i i mean i think I, i'm not the only one to call it speed scouting i mean i go around the spots that I know have traditionally been good. Um, I know where, you know, I know where my food sources are, and I just bop around in the middle of the day and just, I'll just go in there and just make a quick little scout and run. I'm not going in, not getting invasive, not penetrating bedding areas. I'm checking, you know, traditions that are good this time of year. I'm checking logging roads, uh, field edge corners, and I'm looking for those first scrapes of the year because I shouldn't say the first, they've been laying them down since forever. But, I mean, there's going to be a little flurry of scraping activity. Um, in fact, I was talking to a friend about getting his trail cameras all right now, and I'm like, the next three weeks are like go time. This is going to be the peak of scrape, you know, scrape make creation and, you know, scrape activity within the next three weeks. And so I'm looking for those first flurries of, you know, scrapes that are popping up and, uh, and you know, feeding signs. And I'm just, and I'm bopping my cameras around all over the place, and I'm checking them a lot because I want to know, you know, where, like we talked about, you know, before, just where the deer are feeding right now, what's the hot food source, what are the scrapes that are getting hit. And, uh, and you know, I'm fully, I'm prepping for the rut, but I'm fully prepared to kill a big buck if he shows. And I don't, you know, I don't, I'm not one of those guys like, you know, as we were talking about before. I mean, I, I believe you can catch a big buck on his feet this time of year if the conditions are right. Um, so anyway, hunting right. them. I'm hunting them, not just scouting. <laughs> That's right. That's right. So, Let's. I want to talk about this this time of year because, like you said, these these scrapes are starting to pop up, and everybody gets excited when they see a scrape, and then everybody's like, "Well, maybe, maybe I should put a trail camera over it." Well, you get they get a picture of a, a big buck, and this big buck, is, maybe he's coming through at like midnight or two or three in the morning. Is that mm-hmm. something that gets you excited? A nocturnal picture, or? How how big of a role do scrapes this time of year play for not necessarily uh, hunting the rut, but hunting this time of year? I think you know I think it's a huge role, and uh, I was just talking with a hunt buddy about this this morning. I wish I knew what deer were telling each other at scrapes, but whatever it is, it's pretty doggone important. <laughs> um, you know, they are a hub of of activity and communication, and and you know, and nighttime pictures at a scrape do not bother me one bit because what it tells me is 
I've got a good buck in the area. And just because he's hitting that scrape at night does not mean he's not on his feet somewhere uh, before, you know, or, I mean, during the daylight. And a perfect example of that is a buck that my dad killed um, uh, two, uh, three years ago. It was a buck we called Crab Claw. Uh, my dad, when he shot that buck, he was 85 years old, and uh, I, I get a chuckle out of that. I show him a trail cam pick, and if it's at night, he's like, oh, you know, another nocturnal deer. Well, I got picture after picture after picture of this crab claw buck right behind my house, all of them in the dark, every one of them. But there was a, within his home range or core area was a little secluded food plot, and I put that on that food plot. Now this is you know this is pre-rut; things weren't really rocking, and he shot that buck an hour before dusk. You know, so so crab claws hit my scrape behind my house at midnight. But yeah, he's at that food plot feeding an hour before dark. So you know, any little scrap of information I can get that that deer is is in the area, well then I just get. I get jazzed. I get buzzed. I'm like, okay, I'm going to look for him other places. You know, good that I'm getting him here. Doesn't mean that he's, you know, totally nocturnal. Okay. Let's, I want to dive into that a little bit deeper because I do somewhat of the same thing, right? If there is a buck hitting a scrape in the middle of the night, I don't get too excited about that, where that trail camera is at, but my mind instantly goes, okay, where's he coming from? How's he getting there? That kind of stuff. When you, when you get that Intel, what is your next step as far as a thought process is concerned about where this uh, buck might be betting in the cycle he's taking throughout the day? Yeah, I do. I do exactly what you do. I mean, uh, so I, my thoughts immediately, go from that camera location and I start looking outward. Uh, I start imagining, okay, what else is in the area here? Where do I know is quality bedding? You know, what are, what are some other food sources, especially this time of year, secluded food sources? Because, you know, let's face it, they're big deer. They're not stupid. They don't like putting their nose out in the daylight, you know, in, in areas where they feel vulnerable. So I'm looking for those, thinking about those little spots where, you know, he might feed when, when the condition's are right. And so, um, yeah, I just, I kind of go into, I guess, for lack of a better term, kind of aerial, aerial photo mode, you know. <laughs> I just right. imagine myself up above that camera and I go, okay, where else in this buck's, you know, I'm obviously in some place that's important to him. What are some other places that might be important? And you know, and then, and you know those places just from from scouting. I mean, you just you got to know your ground. You got to know how deer move through your ground. And so I just yeah, I just start expanding my search and looking for them other places. Right now, I I heard Bill Winky once talk about um, how he kind of runs trail cameras, and he's he calls it like the casting a net type thing where he has trail cameras all over the place and then if he if one trail camera hits there's a big buck in the specific area he will bring more trail cameras into the area to try to isolate this buck and try to find out his patterns and get as much information as he can is that something that you you do or do you just kind of go do it all mentally I will I will do that if I've got the the cameras to spare yeah, <laughs> one sure. of my problems is I, I actually I've, I hunt mostly small properties and they're kind of kind of scattered all over the place. Um, you right. know, like one of my spots is 25 miles from here and another one is, you know, close to 30. And, uh, you know, I've got to dedicate a camera to those spots. But, but if I've got enough, yeah, absolutely. And Bill, that's an, that's an awesome idea. As a matter of fact, I just did a story on a guy that was hunting a, a super big buck, not, not far from you. Uh, this was last, last year. And, uh, 
yeah, he actually bumped that deer in the late summer, early fall, and it had him on camera, and then he just peppered that spot with cameras just trying to get get on get on that deer, and I, I think it's an excellent idea. Right. All right, so we all like to hunt these weather fronts, right? You know, it's uh, it's the time of year where everybody's saying don't hunt, don't hunt, but, you know, a lot of people also say cold fronts can get a, a, a big deer on their feet. Mm-hmm. This time, this time of year, what kind of stand location are you going to? Let's let's take trail cameras and trail camera information out of the picture right now. Mm-hmm. Let's say trail cameras don't even exist. Mm-hmm. This time of year, a cold front comes through mid October. Everybody knows it as the lull. What kind of tree stand location are you looking for? Well, if, um, so. As, as we mentioned before, I mean, I do a lot of boots on the ground scouting. So if I can, if I can isolate um, scraping activity that's close to a food source, I will hunt that and cheat towards the scrapes. If it's not right on the food source, um, uh, I will cheat towards that. Um, and, but my basic philosophy is, I kind of—it's easier to go outside in. In other words, be tentative, be a little cautious on that first stand setup. If you don't, you know, if you're not positive, you can get away with it, or you're worried about a buck. If you're not positive where he's coming from, you know, and that's that's another critical thing. I mean, you want that you want wind to be almost wrong for the deer, and I mean, almost perfect for the deer, and almost wrong for you. So, and in order to do that, you have to kind of have a pretty strong idea where you think that buck is going to be coming from, and sometimes that's hard to do at this time of year because it's you know some of the trails, et cetera, aren't quite as pronounce as they might be later in the year so anyway i i tend to cheat a little bit I'll, I'll cheat on the safe side because like you said if i got a big buck and he's feeling pretty safe in a little area i want him to continue to feel safe there i'm not going to hunt him i'm not going to push him this time of year like i would in the rut where i'm not afraid to barge into his bedding area and take a swing for the bleachers so i'm going to start out towards the food and if i spot him or i spot other deer that are you know maybe a little bit out of my wheelhouse where I want to be on the next sit, I'm going to go in there and get a little more aggressive. So it's kind of an outside in type of approach, I guess. So when you say move in on them, are you, are you mobile throughout the year? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I've got, I've got my stand sets that are, you know, in, in terrain funnels that I know, Hey man, when a deer walks through here, through this area, this is where he's going to go. And those are, those are pretty permanent. I mean, I leave those up and, you know, uh, and fix them, but I tell you what, I'm never far from my lone wolf and climbing sticks or, or whatever brand you might need. You know, I, I think it's really critical to, to be able to set up on fresh sign and be able to just go out there and just do a hanging hunt. And, you know, you're either going to kill them or you're going to get some good information, but you know, I, it just, it just gnaws at me. It would gnaw at me to think, here's a good spot to hunt, but I don't have a stand, you know, I don't have a stand. So I always, I mean, I, I always keep at least three tree stands, lightweight hanging, hanging stands. I always have three that are free that I can pop up anywhere I want at any time. Right. That's uh that's pretty, that's a good idea. I, I, I do some of the, some of the same things except for when I, when the rut hits and it's time to start grinding real hard and bounce, you know, yep. bounce around if necessary. I always find myself needing one more tree stand because I've I've left all of them up in quote unquote good spots. I know it. I tell you what, you can never have too many stands, can you? I mean, oh my gosh, yeah. 
it's just a continual battle to keep a, <laughs> keep at least one or two free that you can have with you all the time. And you're like, gosh, I just had one more, you know. That's right. So, okay, so this cold front comes through, right? And we are we are jacked about it. We think we know where where we got to go. But let's flip it a bit. And now we get this Indian summer, right? We get this these these warmer temperatures. But you're like me and you you sit in a cubicle all day long and the weather you want to hunt. The weather the weather doesn't matter. You if you want to hunt, you got to hunt when it's warm type of deal. So for the for the guy like that who runs into some 75, hell, even 80-degree temperatures this time of year, you know, warmer temperature, warmer than average temperatures, still wants to hunt, still wants to try to get it done, Where what would you have to say to them? Um, well, I would – I've got two basic approaches at that time of year uh, when, under those conditions. I – I try to hunt water, um, and I've got you know ponds that we've created, or uh, if I know of water within the timber, um, I will I will hunt those, um, and I and I never hesitate to do that. Um, you know, a creek bottom that you can get in and out of without you know bombing through a bedding area is always good because deer are, I mean, whitetail uh, whitetails in water is a pretty important. I mean, it's an important deal for them. They drink a whole lot more than we think they do, or or if they have the opportunity to drink, they will always take it. Um, so I'm a, I'm a big water source hunter. Um, the other thing is I live in, you know, pretty steep timber bluff country. And I really notice that when the temperatures get warm, the deer go to the north side of the slope because there's more shade tree and until leaf drop occurs, you know, so, but we're in that bubble right now where, I mean, there's a, there's a lot of leaf cover yet, at least where I am. And I'm sure, I'm sure in Southern Iowa, it's the same thing. So anyway, north side of a, of a slope is always going to be significantly cooler on the south side, because it just this time of year, especially, it gets less sunlight, um, and that's also where a lot of your uh, better oaks will grow. You know, so if you get a, you get an oak stand on the north side of a slope, or you know, on, if you got oaks on the ridge, and you can just shoot a little bit onto the north side, the deer are gonna they're gonna make those shifts. I mean, they they adjust to the temperature just like we do. Right. So, do you feel that? and this is where this whole conversation of the lull comes into place. Do you feel that if in these warmer temperatures, and I, I know that this doesn't constitute the the actual definition of a lull, but in these warmer temperatures, deer are actually moving less or just waiting till dark to move? Well, I think, you know, it's, it's interesting that that's, that's a great that's a great question. Um, I think a, a lot of it is dependent on temperature, um, and a lot of it is the food source. You know, um, deer are basically I mean they're just lazy, and especially older bucks are just lazy. They just don't go any more than they have to go, and so I think what happens is what what the what the lull is be, is what, we blame the lull um, for making deer lazy, and it's really not. I mean, that's just the way they are all, all the time. <laughs> it's really interesting. When we get a deer on a September pattern, what we would call a summer pattern, you know, his core area is probably small, as small or smaller than it is right now. Um, but, but because they might be sticking their head out into an alfalfa field, we're like, oh, he's on a summer pattern. Well, he's, he's doing that same basic thing in October. He's just betting really close to his food source. So I think, I think that's what people... You know, it's interesting. When I first heard the term October lull, I actually heard people say, 
you know, well, Bucks are resting up for the rut. It's like, you know what? They're not that smart. They don't, they're not like, oh boy, I'm really going to be hoofing it here in three weeks, so I better save my energy. They don't right. do that. I mean, yeah. you're just not that smart, you know? So what, what they're doing in my mind is they're just being deer, you know? They're being lazy. They're like, well, there's acorns right over there. Why do I have to bet three quarters of a mile away when I can bet right here, you know? Right. So that, in my opinion, that's what's happening. You know, there, like like we said before, there's a lot of different food sources right now, and they're shifting, and the deer are just adjusting to those food sources. And because they're not bombing all over the landscape like they do in the rut, we call it a lull, and I just call it deer being deer. Right. Yeah, that's a great point. Um, so so now, let's talk about some some terrain changes. Right. This time okay. of year, the the leaves are starting to to dry out here pretty soon in the next week or two, they're going to start falling off. And, you know, that can also be a a big change in cover. Do you think that this time of year, not only the food source, you know, there's a plethora of food and, and obviously there's a, uh, additional drying come out, but how, how much do you think a deer's core range changes when the leaves start to come off the tree and the timber is more visible. Yeah, that's a, that's a great point. I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because, I mean, it really is. You know, I talked about north slopes um, uh, just a bit ago. And it's, it can be shocking how, you know, you go in the north slope in September and it's like a, it's like a church in there. It's dark, it's quiet, it's cool. You're like, man, this is a place where a big buck would feel safe, and you'll even see the evidence. There'll be rubs in there. And man, when that leaf fall comes, holy cow, it's like it's like somebody took the roof off the church, and now, you know, it's it's pretty exposed. So yeah, and I, I totally agree. I think a buck, when he, you know, I mean, you know how they are. They're kind of vampire you know. They like it dark and kind of slinky, and uh, they like to skulk around. And when that leaf drop happens, I mean, they, I think they do feel exposed, and they do, they do shift a little bit. Now, I think, I really think they adjust to that. After a while, it kind of starts to be their new normal. But yeah, I think, I think they will shift bedding areas. And and you know, the other thing that's happening is, at least around me, I mean, we discussed this in the last podcast. I mean, all the farms I hunt are small, and especially uh, in the area where I live right here, um, there's a lot of public land, so there's other stuff going. It's not just bow hunting, you know. There's guys um, hunting squirrels, and they're jump-shooting little ponds for ducks, and, you know, uh, we've got a fall trout season here, and I have a couple of a couple of pieces I hunt. got a nice trout stream going through there, so you never know what's going on, you know, when you're not in your bow stand. You know, I mean, there's guys bumping deer for different reasons, and, and I don't think any of those are catastrophic. I mean, you and I both know, I mean, if a, if a deer in this country, uh, you know, relocated every time he saw a human being, he'd be in Canada, you know. <laughs> they just, But they make little adjustments. They're like, oh, you know, boy, I used to bed right by that trout stream, and now all of a sudden there's a guy walking through there every day. Maybe I'm just going to shift over here a little bit just to get away from it, you know. So I think there's little relocations that happen because of leaf drop, because of other hunters being out there, and, uh, you know, and so it, that's another, to me, that's another reason to, you know, keep that scouting going on and just being really observant and you know um you know if you're like i said before if you're sitting out this period you're missing some of those little shifts right so to play a little bit of devil's advocate 
you know, if yep. we're sit, if we're sitting this time of year out, you're kind of missing things, which I kind of I, I agree. But for the guy who maybe doesn't have access to that much property or doesn't yep. have a public property right in his back door, would you still suggest the same things to get out there and go go hunt? And or does the strategy change for him? Well, I mean, every every situation is a little different. I mean, it's, right. it, to me, it depends depends on how sensitive you think your property is. Um, you know, I say these things where you know, hey, man, I'm hunting all the time and blah blah blah, and I, and I do, but I'm really careful about how I do it. So if you've got only one little chunk of ground and you think, um, well, I'm just going to keep grinding it out through October and pray my rut is good, you might be shooting yourself in the foot. You know, maybe you, but I. What what I insist is important is keeping track of what's going on out there. Uh, you know, if if you if you think, hey, I might I might damage my property more by hunting it tonight than not hunting it, then I think you probably shouldn't hunt it. But you should be running your trail cameras. You should be snooping around in the middle of the day and seeing where the new rubs and scrapes are. Um, you know, it's, I did a seminar in Illinois here this summer, this summer and I, I talked about a hunter uh, from Illinois that bought a farm. And he said, I was, I'm really lucky. He says, I've got three weeks off every fall. And he said, and I would go out morning and night hunting that farm. And he said, and I had fantastic bucks on, on my cameras. And he said, I could not lay eyes on them from a tree stand. And he said, and I couldn't figure out why until he said it finally dawned on me by hunting that farm in the evening. He said, every, every time I walked out and walked back, he lived, he lived on that farm. So he said, every time I walked back to the house, he says, I was bumping deer every night because I could hear them. And so he said it finally clicked that, you know, maybe I should only hunt this farm in the morning. And so he said the next fall, that's what he did. And he said it was agonizing because he said it'd be a beautiful late October afternoon. And he said, I knew I could be in a stand, but I just, I had made this vow that I was only going to hunt mornings. And so he said it was not easy to stay out of the timber, but he started killing big bucks just bam, bam, bam. I mean, I, the story I interviewed him for, he killed a 190. He said the years, the two years before that, he had killed bucks in the 170s. And he said, but I never set foot in the tree stand in the afternoon. So, you know, you you got to use sense when you're hunting no matter what. You know, if, if your property's sensitive and you don't think you should be pushing stuff, well, then you probably shouldn't, you know. Right. When do you start hunting mornings? Are, are you hunting mornings this time of year? Um, You know, I... I tend to use like October 20th as kind of a rough guideline, but th- but it's really dependent. I mean, I think if, I mean, A, if you've got a cold front and you think deer are feeling frisky, and B, you've got a, a place that you can get in and out of without bumping deer, I mean, that, to me, that's always the challenge of any morning stand. Um, and, but, and the other thing is, if I see a real flurry of rubbing and scraping activity in a specific area, I'm like, this buck is feeling it. You know, he wants to go. <laughs> and if he wants to go, I'm going after him. I'm going to take a swing at him, you know. Right, right. So this is just kind of a, a, a random question. just popped into my head. Do your access routes change to these locations based off of time of year? Or are your access routes to your, I guess, historically good uh, tree stands the same throughout the entire season um well i i would say for the most part they're usually the same but you mentioned leaf drop and that's a really important one um i think that you know there are times where i mean 
I know I've got a, a stand that I'm thinking about right now where early season I feel totally comfortable walking in there because it's you know the woods are kind of dark and gloomy. But when leaf drop comes, I know that there are uh, there's a there's one betting point there that I know those bucks can see me uh, after leaf drop walking in back to that stand. So I will. There's a certain part in, I, I keep the same basic approach, but there's an area where I know that they can see me from, and I take a little wider loop just to get away from them <laughs> visibly, yeah. you know. Um, right. So, yeah, I think there are times where you have to make a little a little adjustment just because they are, I mean, they're pretty sensitive. And, and my bucks here, they always bet, I mean, this is Ridge and Valley country, so they bet typically bet on the end of a ridge. And any stand that I've got that I think can be, you know, if there, I always try to imagine, okay, if there's a buck betting on that ridge, at the end of the ridge, that's where they like to do it here. And it's like if I've got a stand where I think, and after, especially on an afternoon set, if I think a buck could see me walking to that stand uh, from that ridge, I'll either adapt the route or not sit sit at that evening. Okay. All right. This time of year, any type of calling? Oh, absolutely. I always have calls with me. I'm not super aggressive, but, um, you know, it's funny you when we talk about the early season hunting, I I, I don't know why I I uh, just totally had a mental lapse on that one. But in, I, I'll never forget I was opening weekend here in Minnesota, so it was like the you know sixteenth, fifteenth, sixteenth of September, and I heard some deer kind of juking around back in the timber, and I couldn't it didn't seem like they were coming my way, so I just grabbed my horns and I just rattled lightly. Not I wouldn't even say it was better. It was harder than tickling because I you know. Um, but I, you know, but it wasn't like a full bore, you know, November rattling. So anyway, I I clacked the antlers together for a little bit and hung them up, and uh, within within minutes, I had I had uh, that night I had five different bucks under my tree. So they're you know they respond to rattling all the time. Uh, my neighbor just shot a buck here. Oh, was that six days ago? Right about the first of October. So yeah, the official start of the wall, and uh, he listened to that buck get into it big time with another he had just passed the 130 inch 10 pointer and that deer walked into the into the cover and he heard him get into this fight just almost immediately and it was he said it was significant he said you could hear trees shaking and branches breaking and they went at it pretty hard and then pretty soon this great big mature eight that we've had on camera ever since last year walked out and he, he zipped them at 17 yards so yeah they're they're be, they're being deer i mean bucks fight each other all the time you know um so i'm not afraid to rattle i don't rattle a lot i don't rattle hard i tend to rattle more these days just to deer that i see never afraid to rattle the buck that i think is going to walk out of my you know if i want to kill him and i think he's going to walk out of my life without getting a shot i'm i'm going to do stuff to you know try to bring him in especially if he looks like he's in the right mood Right. So how can you tell that mood? What are you looking for for, from body language for a deer to say, hey, I'm going to call at him? It's very interesting. I just interviewed Mark Drury about this not too long ago, and Mark's obviously one of the better game callers uh, walking the plant these days. And he said, I look look for a buck that's moving with intent. He says, if he's dilly-dallying around, just, you know, licking himself and, you know, just kind of goofing off. He said, I'm not going to call to him because he said he's going to be cautious. He's going to come to the call, you know, assuming he comes to the call, which, you know, fairly good chance that he will, but he's going to, he's going to come from downwind. He's going to be cautious about it, you know? So I tend to look for a buck that's, you know, feel, looks like he's feeling pretty good. Um, and of course I want to make sure that I'm in a spot where I don't, I, you know, if he decides to circle that he's not going to get me, um, especially if it is a buck I'm going to kill. And I think he's in his, 
you know, an area where he feels safe. I don't want him walking into that stand, pegging me up there, especially if it's one of my good spots. Um, you know, I don't want him pegging me in that stand and then being afraid to come by that area again. Um, you know, so I, I mean, I, I say call, but call with caution. I just, I feel that way, you know, quite a bit of the time. Okay. So then like, are we talking like blind calling or only if you see a deer? Well, for me, you know, that, that question always depends for me on my setup. If I feel like I'm pretty bulletproof on a setup, like, um, like one of my favorite stands here is on a ridge end. And if I wait for a north wind, the ridge runs north and south. So I'm on the, on the extreme south end of that uh, ridge, right up, right where it breaks. And I'm never afraid to call from that stand with any wind that has north in it because the, the terrain breaks off below my stand severe enough that I can have a deer come from, quote-unquote, straight downwind, and I'm high enough that he, he can't get me no matter what he does. He's just not tall enough. <laughs> so I'm never afraid to blind call from a setup like that. And, there, you know, you can have other instances of, you know, of kind of bulletproof setups like that where you've got a maybe a field against your back that, you know, it's pretty, pretty unlikely that the deer is going to come from that field or, you know, you've got some kind of a obstruction that won't let them approach from downwind. So if I'm in a bulletproof setup, I'm not afraid to, to blind call. Otherwise, I typically wait to see a deer that I'm going to call. But, I, you know, I used to rattle a heck of a lot more. I used to blind rattle a heck of a lot more than I do now. And it's just, uh, I just uh, have, you know, for the most part, usually, unless it's peak rut, things are really rocking, um, I will blind rattle quite frequently. If I, if I don't, then I usually kind of wait for deer that I see and, you know, kind of gauge that body language. Okay. So kind of going back to uh, tree stand locations. For, for me, there's there's a handful of act, of like categories that I that I uh, I guess give my tree stand locations. Like there's a bedding area, there's pinch points, there's transition, there's staging area, and there's food source. So so around five is what what I typically go through. Pin, like, if, so for example, like a pinch point would be a rut location because a lot of deer are going to be moving in and out there throughout the rut. But for you. Do you have a favorite stand location for this time of year? Um, I know that's a vague question. No, no, it's that's fine. It's a, because I because I think food is so important this time of year. I tend to cheat towards the food because that's uh, because it's again it's safe um, and that's where a lot of your fresh buck sign is going to pop up. And the other thing, you know, I, I wonder. <laughs> I want to make sure that I didn't forget to talk about this when we, we when we discussed the wall, is that you know so many guys get so focused on on what big deer are doing and you know and it's all you know deer hunting is all about the bucks and blah blah blah. The one of the to me one of the most critical reasons to hunt right now is to keep track of where does are and what they're doing because you and I both know when the rut blows and when that you know when that seeking phase hits and they're starting. You know, they're starting to really get serious. I mean, it all happens where the does are. I mean, the, you know, one of the biggest mistakes I think most hunters make about the rut is they think, you know, they just get this tunnel vision about bucks and buck sign and all that. Well, I tell you what, man, if you don't know where your does are, and that this is one of the critical reasons to hunt right now is when things start popping, you know where it's going to happen. It's going to happen where the does are. You know, yep. Sam Colora, we both know Sam very well. Yep. <laughs> um 
he, I sat in on one of his seminars, and, and Sam's just a funny guy by nature, you know. And someone asked a, asked a question once. He's like, um, something about, so when you know, so Bucks kind of control the rod, and you know, this is what happens. And Sam goes, wait, 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 wait. <laughs> and he goes, how many of you guys out there are married? And you know, a bunch of guys <laughs> raise their hand, and he goes, how many of you guys control the rut in your house? <laughs> That's right. And I, you know, he said what he said is so true. You know. The, the does are where it happens, and if you don't know where they are, how they feed, where they bed, you're going to be chasing your tail when the rut starts. And so that's another reason to me to figure out, you know, to be out there hunting and scouting and everything right now because you'll know where those hot food sources are and where the does are going because the bucks are, are not going to be far behind. Right. So are you ever, with that said, are you ever setting up on places where – you know where you know where the does are at, but you have yet to see any buck sign or buck sightings. Knowing that, it's just a matter of time. Yeah, uh, well, you know, it's interesting because I mean, I'm there are times uh, I'm not going out specifically to hunt does. I just I'm just hunting deer, and um, and I like I said, it doesn't happen in a in a vacuum. I mean, I think. If you, like, uh, one of my favorite places to hunt right now are little secluded food plots, ones that I make, and a lot of these things are an eighth of an acre, a quarter of an acre, but they're tight to cover, and um, if I can hunt those places effectively in the afternoon, like like I would this afternoon, I'll do it, because um, if I want to know which ones the does are using, of course, I'm using trail cameras to verify that, too. But I, I know I want to see for myself. I want to, and and that this first buck sign that starts popping up right now, it's going to be near those active food sources. You know, the bucks are hitting the same food sources the does do, just a lot of times. You know, arriving there later or 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 whatever. Right, right. Okay, we're nearing the end of this here. So we we've talked a lot about what to do, right? But mm-hmm. we want to try to help some people avoid make mistakes. So, what are some things that we should not be doing this time of year? Oh man, I I love hunting bedding areas. I've got some fantastic rut morning spots, and I do not set foot on those things until I know. Um, my my general date here, as a as a rule, is, is October twenty eighth. Um, that's usually when, you know, bucks start getting serious about, you know, that's kind of the start of when I think probably a day when I might catch one not coming, you know, getting back to bed a little bit late. So I, I stay out of those, you know, kind of sanctuary areas. I mean, some of those stands I may hunt only once or twice a year, but I tell you what, when I go into them, I, I count on seeing, you know, usually not just one buck. Some, you know, I've got one stand. I've, you know, I'll see four or five bucks there every time I sit it. Um, but I, don't, I never sit there till last week of October. So anyway, I would say rule one: if you know if you've got those kind of areas that are you know that you know are bedding slash sanctuary, I I just stay out of them now. It's just not worth it. I mean, it, my big thing is, and it's been taught to me by guys that know a heck of a lot more than me is me is that you know if, if a buck is feeling safe in an area, let him feel safe. You know, just hunt him only when he's vulnerable. So that's probably the biggest thing. You know, the other thing, it's, this one just kind of popped in my head, it's, it's amazing to me how many guys, and I've been guilty of this in my youth too, shoot their bows all summer long, and then once the season starts, they never fling another arrow. Well, 
I guess if you're, you know, Levi Morgan, you might be able to get by with that. But I'm not good enough. I got to keep shooting. And you know, you need to you need to find out. You need to stay mentally sharp about, you know, the little things you need. You know, your little shot procedure you need to memorize before you're ready to kill a big deer. And you know, I mean, who knows? You might be walking out to your stand someday and a twig runs through your sight and you don't even know it, and all of a sudden, you know, your sight's off and you're not shooting right when that big one comes. So yeah, keep shooting your bow and. And heaven forbid, you know, run your trail cameras and scout. I mean, take some time off and do some other things if you want, but don't lose track of what's going on in your deer woods. That, to me, that's one of the biggest mistakes you can make right now. Absolutely, man. Now, the last question I have for you here is your your best guess. You, you live in Minnesota, right? Yep. Okay, Minnesota. So for a majority of the Midwest, when do you think the deer – when do you think the deer start coming into this pre-rut? You mean when they're getting when they're getting pretty active? Yeah, let's say this the the hypothetical lull is over and now it's pre-rut time. Do you have a what's your best guess on a date? Um well, I killed my first pope and young buck more years ago than I care to count <laughs> on October 24th. Um and so that has always been, you know, partly sentimental reasons. But I know right around the 24th is when I'm, I'm paying really keen attention to what's going on out there. I'm, I'm expecting it to pop any day. Um, and I've seen, it, I've seen it happen, you know, the 24th, the 23rd, somewhere around there. Uh, last year in my area, it, I mean, I, my poor brother-in-law is just getting into bow hunting. And he's like, you know, I'm going to take some vacation from work. What do you think about that last week of September? And I'm like, or October. And I'm like, yeah, well, Craig, that's, that sounds really good. I think that'd be a really good time for you to be out there. And the poor guy, he sat, 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 and he wasn't seeing anything. And I started, I, I don't remember what, why I couldn't hunt that particular area then, but I started about Halloween night. And so here's this, you know, my brother-in-law had been there literally two days before. And I went out there and hunted one night, and I it was looking I mean, I was just seeing the bucks I were seeing were active. They were rubbing stuff. They were walking with intent. They were moving. And I called him that night, and I'm like, dude, you've got to take tomorrow off from work. And he's like, I can't do it. I just had, you know, and I'm not seeing anything. And I said, I'm promising you, if you sit tomorrow night, you're going to kill one. And he wouldn't do it. And so I sat where I had wanted him to sit, and I saw five, you know, I had five bucks go by me that night, and they were just going nuts. So that, you know, last year was November 1st. I can't, I don't know why. <laughs> So anyway, it's, but I would say generally in the Midwest, I'm paying really close attention anytime around. As soon as, as soon as the, the date starts with a two, uh, and the closer you get to three, you know, you better be looking. Right. That's Absolutely. my opinion. Absolutely. Cool. Well, Scott, man, I won't keep you, I won't keep you any longer. Um, I say if you're up for it, we touch base closer to the rut, if that's okay with you. Absolutely, um, and, and yeah, and I will. You will be probably seeing me with uh, on QVC by then, and yeah, if I could be a regular on the Dan Johnson show, I'd be a happy guy. <laughs> well, I tell you what, hey, good luck tonight, and good luck the rest of the season. You too, buddy. Oh, any baby word lately? Oh yeah, I got a baby. I, I got. You it. got a baby? What? Tell tell me about that's, it. That's number. That's number three, man. Let's see. I got. Uh, I got three kids and I'm sleep deprived. So he was born September 22nd. 
Is that right? So not long after we talked the last time? Nope, I think like three days afterwards. Oh, congratulations. So a son? A son, yep. Second son, third kid, and uh, he doesn't like to sleep at night. He likes to sleep during the day. <laughs> I better I better check in on you after the run. I think you're going to be a walking skeleton. If you're, not, if you're not sleeping and you're chasing deer, I'm worried about you, dude. <laughs> well, I tell you what, that's why they made safety harnesses, right? <laughs> you better you better wear a double safety harness and put like a little mattress under your tree just to be safe and there you have it huge shout out to mr scott bestel for coming on the podcast again and uh talking deer with us uh always loved having him on uh it's going to be a new thing i think uh cool guy lots of good content and information to uh share with you huge shout out big shout out I say shout out every episode. I need to think of another word for shout out. But huge thanks to each and every one of you, whether this is your first podcast that you've ever listened to from the Nine Finger Chronicles or you've listened to every one of them. Thank you very much for tuning in and downloading. I really appreciate it. Remember to check out the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network. Huge shout out to all of the partners that support this podcast because if it wasn't for them I wouldn't be allowed the time to be back here Uh, and I'd probably to be honest with you have some kind of part-time job that would actually keep me away from my family more than what I already am throughout the day so huge shout out to Ozonix, Lone Wolf, Gearhead, Wasp, Ripcord, Deer Lab, Bighorn Outfitters, and Exodus trail cameras please go out and support those companies because they support me uh, and you know a variety of those offer discounts that will uh, obviously help save you money for some really quality products if you haven't already check me out on uh, check out the nine finger chronicles on social media instagram twitter and of course facebook go to itunes please leave a review uh, if you want to leave a five-star review that would be awesome I don't really know what a five-star review does, but if you're if you're in the mood for handing out five-star reviews, I would really appreciate it. And I think that's it, guys. I'm going to keep it short. I'm going to end it without going too long. Remember, if you're going to be in a tree, wear your damn safety harness. Have a good week.